Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. How many want the Lord to talk to your heart today? That's a good thing. It's a welcome thing when God speaks into your heart. Good things happen. Now, your flesh may not like it, but uh, in the long run, it's better for us when we hear the word of the Lord and when we decide to do what James calls be not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. So let's pray today that the Lord would ask or would help us to uh, be a doer of the word as well as a hearer. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for another Lord's Day, a day that's been designated to give to you and time spent in communion with you, with the people of God and the guests that you send us, Lord, to just uh, feel after you, to praise you and worship you for a while and to uh, bring our petitions to you and to hear you speak to us through your word. That's what we want to do today. And in it all, we want your will to be done. Have your way, Lord, in this Sunday school class. Let, let us open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits. In fact, we ask you to do that for us and help us to receive with gladness the forever settled in heaven word of Almighty God. And God, do through it what you want to do. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. While you're standing, let me read one verse of Scripture, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's going to do something to you. It's going to make you become a witness. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. Before you're seated, why don't you uh, move around and shake hands with folks and maybe greet somebody you haven't greeted yet today. Share a smile with them. Welcome them to the house of the Lord this afternoon. All right, Lord bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to you today about the Holy Ghost. Who's, who's here that's ever heard of the Holy Ghost? Uh, actually, the title of my lesson is The Power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to talk about that for just uh, a second. There are some people in Christianity that don't like the term the Holy Ghost, and uh, usually those are people who uh, actually don't believe or practice uh, 
the indwelling of the Holy Ghost the way they did in the Bible, which was through the evidence of speaking in other tongues or language that uh, you don't know. The Bible does give uh, accounts of people receiving the Holy Ghost, including for the very first time on the day of Pentecost. Every time uh, it's in the Bible, you see somebody receiving the Holy Ghost, they did speak with tongues or a language that they didn't know. And, uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. Never have been able to understand how people could criticize that, but they find cause to do that. Uh, then, on the other hand, though, the other side of that coin is there are some people who are uncomfortable with the term Holy Spirit. And uh, most of the time, not always, but usually those folks are us, Pentecostals, apostolic. We, we are partial. A, a lot of uh, apostolics and Pentecostals, people who do speak in tongues, like the Bible says, uh, a lot of those folks uh, prefer the term Holy Ghost instead of the Holy Spirit. I've heard some people complain, well, Holy Spirit just sounds too staunchy or uh, formal. To me, whatever your preference is, let me just set the record straight today. They both mean the exact same thing. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, they are the same thing. They are both terms found in the New Testament to describe the uh, Spirit of God and particularly an individual human being when they receive God's Spirit into their life into their vessel. The Bible calls our body the vessel of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you can say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, either one, because the Bible does that. It uses both. And there are other terms in the New Testament that uh, mean the same thing as the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's the Spirit of Christ, uh, Spirit of God, and among others, there's simply just the word spirit with a capital S. Some writers of books in the New Testament use different ones of those. So uh, when I say the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean the power of the Holy Ghost. And uh, maybe I'm going to use that a little bit today so those uh, of us that might be uncomfortable with that term will get a little more comfortable with it. The, uh, the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship him, Jesus himself said, must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to talk about the power that's in the Holy Spirit today. And uh, it is powerful. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is uh, God himself. And so when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, what is happening is you are energized and activated with the power of Almighty God Himself as He comes to live inside of you. Uh, we know that the Spirit of God fills everything. Uh, God is all in all. He fills all in all. God is in all time and all space all the time, simultaneously at all times. Uh, it was... The Spirit of God that moved uh, 
and formed and created uh, creation, uh, the earth and all that's here, the universe itself. And uh, he's always been present. He's always been in every age, moving upon and energizing people who want to be uh, called the people of God. So we're first introduced to the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, I didn't give this verse to Brother Terry, but it says in Genesis 1 and 2, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So this initial uh, passage of Scripture, right here at the beginning of the Bible, it really holds a key to the moving of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, throughout the ages ever since. And we understand from this verse, this passage, that the earth uh, was here, but it was without form. It was void. The word void means empty. Uh, we see words like darkness. Uh, in the beginning, there was chaos. And God moved upon the chaos and the vast emptiness that was there in the beginning that he had already put there because everything is made by God. And evidently, uh, God, when he was ready, moved upon the face of the waters that covered the earth. And God began to speed up or put in place uh, the creation of the earth uh, until it became like it is today in the form that we know and live in. So uh, there's, there's interesting passages throughout the Bible that point to and, and allude to this uh, moving of the Spirit upon the earth and upon man. One of the psalmists wrote this. He said, listen to this, deep calleth unto deep. Now, what does that mean? I, I'm not really sure I know uh, completely, but I, I think it, it sounds like the deepness of God, and how many know God is deep? He's beyond our comprehension. He's so deep. Calls unto the deep that is within the soul of every man and woman, every human being. Uh, you know, actually, I guess you could say, too, shallow calls to shallow because they attract. But when we are deeply hungry, when something within us hungers after uh, something more than just what this life can give and, and life on this old earth. If this is all there is, if this is all we've got is just going through a mundane life on this planet, no matter how hard you may try to get pleasure and fulfillment without God, if you try it without God, you're going to be disappointed very much so. Uh, the, God put within us, deep within us, that, that hunger for him that desire for his spirit, for communion and communication with him. And we need to understand that. And if we try to find the answers to life or, or happiness or joy or fulfillment from any other source or any other direction than God, we are going to miss out. We're going to miss out on why God created us in the first place. So it says in Genesis, there was darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the water that apparently covered 
the earth, and I want you to note it wasn't ice, it was water. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, uh, that's just a little note, side note, God letting us know that we need to be pliable and sensitive, moldable to his touch, yielded to him, especially when we find ourselves over our heads in darkness. Uh, God wants to come to our rescue and move in our behalf. Could I tell you today, God is attracted to your emptiness. God is attracted to our need. He responds to our need. And the deeper the need is, the more crucial it is, the more concerned and moved we are by our need, the more concerned and moved God is by our need. And he will come. He will come to the chaos and the emptiness and the darkness of the life of a human being. And uh, that's a perfect setting for the Spirit of God to move on us. Amen. So I would encourage everyone to think about that. If you haven't given your heart and your life completely submitted to God, you want to do that today because you're missing out on the greatest experience of life. You're missing out on why you were created in the first place. So we find the Spirit of God moving in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so the first recorded work of the Holy Spirit uh, in Genesis in the Old Testament was the creation in Genesis. And then over in the New Testament, we have Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit begins to create again. And there what God created by his Spirit was his church, his body. He took his spirit that moved on the earth and created uh, man naturally and the physical world that we live in, and he created a spiritual body. This time, instead of a natural body called Adam, he created a spiritual body called his church, and he chose to move inside of it and dwell in it. And there's been uh, comparisons made to the moving of the spirit of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament so let's just look at that a minute. It was the spirit, uh, the Bible says, that drew the animals into the ark when Noah built the ark. The Bible states in the New Testament that no man can come to God except the spirit draw him. So uh, in the Old Testament, you move on from the ark to uh, find the spirit of God moving upon the lives of men like Moses and Abraham and King Saul and Samson and Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets. There were many uh, occurrences where it says God's Spirit moved upon people and they did stuff. They did God's bidding if they yielded to Him. So it was the Holy Spirit, and you can change that to the Holy Ghost that made it possible for uh, Daniel to write his great book of prophecy and foretell things that are going to come even uh, ahead of us in the future, in the end time. It was the same Holy Ghost that moved on John in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, to do the same thing, to write prophetic events that were going to take place that would come in the future, in end time. And so 
if you look at Daniel and you look at Zechariah and you look at Habakkuk and you look at uh, Revelation and all the end-time prophecy books or books that, that teach some end-time prophecy, you, you can tell they were written by the same author because the author was the Holy Ghost. Now, listen to this. Somebody uh, counted these up, and uh, it wasn't me, but this is what they came up with. In the Old Testament, on 25 different occasions, it says that the Spirit came upon somebody. Uh, and those people that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, visited in the Old Testament, they were, they were special people. Uh, anytime God's Spirit comes upon you, it's special. Now, they did not, uh, in a, a general sense, have the privilege of having the Spirit of God come inside of them. Now, there may have been some cases where you read it and you think, well, that, that really had to have been the case. That's what happened. They had the Spirit within them. Uh, and it may use that phraseology a couple times, two or three times maybe at the most. But the rest of these 25 people that it talks about, the Holy Spirit coming upon them, it uses that word on or upon. For example, uh, even in his backslidden condition, King Saul, the first king of Israel, had the, the Spirit of God move upon him, and he prophesied. Uh, then uh, we think about David. David, the shepherd boy who killed the giant Goliath and grew up to be the second king, greatest king, the Bible says, of Israel, he had the, the Spirit of God move upon him several times. But the promise of the day that would come during the latter reign that the Bible prophesied of, the promise that was going to be fulfilled in the New Testament of the Spirit of God coming to the earth didn't take place until a day called the day of Pentecost. And that was different than the Spirit of God moving upon people in the Old Testament because Pentecost told of a day when, uh, think about it, the clouds of God's glory were literally going to burst upon the scene with blessing and with outpouring of God's Spirit like man had never seen before. Because all of a sudden, when that promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible starts calling it more often then, the Holy Ghost, would be something that we could have for ourselves. Whosoever will, the Bible says, it wasn't just for a select few, 25, but it was for everybody who wants it. And so today in this New Testament time period that we live in, it's called the dispensation of the New Testament, everybody everywhere can, can personally actually become a container of deity, which is just a fancy word for God. Uh, you know, there's nothing really quite as interesting to me anyway as the Word of God. And uh, the Word of God, it, it's different from any other book you'll ever read. It's fascinating. It's versatile. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's like a continued story that just continues like a, a serial. I think they have TV series. They used to 
people used to write books called serials when you'd read through the book and at the end there really wouldn't be a total end because it was going to be picked up with the beginning of the next book and I guess they have TV shows or movies like that. Well, the Bible is like that. God was the first serial writer uh, because we see that uh, each of the Old Testament dispensations. Now, dispensation is just a fancy word for time period. So each of the Old Testament time periods ended in judgment. First, you had the dispensation of conscience when after eating the fruit in the garden that they weren't supposed to eat, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were ruled by their conscience, and uh, they knew the difference between good and evil. They knew the difference between right and wrong before that, but now they have a conscience, and uh, they can choose to abide by the teaching of that conscience. By the way, we still have conscience today, and God expects us to uh, use it for the reason that he gave it to us for, and that is to do, choose to do right instead of wrong and good instead of evil, what pleases him instead of what doesn't please him. But then the next dispensation was the dispensation of human government. And you have the Tower of Babel being built. And uh, mankind generally stayed in one place after the flood. And uh, God judged that dispensation and scattered the people throughout all the earth. And then uh, you have the law. And uh, all of these, uh, the law was when God chose Israel, one nation out of all the nations of the earth, to be his people and uh, they were the chosen ones, and God said, I'm going to hold you up to be the example for the rest of the world. I'm going to uh, show the rest of the world what happens when you serve me and love me and obey me. You do that, and here's what I'll do back. I'll bless you and give you blessings above all the rest of the nations of the world, above everybody else. But if you don't, if you backslide and, and go serve heathen gods and idols and don't serve me or worship me as the one true God, then I'll withdraw my blessing from you. And the rest of the world will look on you and you'll be a laughing stock because I'll let you go off into captivity and serve other nations as slaves. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. From time to time, they went back and forth on the seesaw from serving God Israel did, God's people, to being backslidden and serving false gods. So that went through the, the period of the Old Testament and the law. And uh, you can read, though, as you read through the Old Testament, you get the sense from the things that different writers of the books of the Old Testament said, particularly the prophets. You get the feeling that there's something better ahead. Something is coming someday that's better than this, than the law, than sacrificing animals to please God and to have our sins forgiven and washed away because that was all a part of the Old Testament law uh, dispensation. And uh, you, you almost... 
hear Israel crying out to God as a nation. God, when are we going to be delivered from this and see your salvation for ourselves and be ushered into that new uh, time? And, and different prophets would allude to it or give the people of Israel a, a glimpse into what was to come. And so when you get over into the New Testament, and now Jesus appears on the scene. God steps out of heaven, and he robes himself in flesh for the purpose of walking among men, specifically, especially to die on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins in our place so that he could uh, save us from our sins and bring us back to him. You see, when he steps on the scene and he introduces the idea of his church, that is his body in the world through us. We are the body of Christ, not literally, but spiritually. Uh, you see mercy show up and you see truth show up. And put up Luke chapter 133. It says, uh, he shall reign. This is talking about Jesus, God coming to earth in the flesh. He shall reign over the house of Jacob, that's the Old Testament uh, people of God, forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's significant because when Jesus went back to heaven after he died on the cross, was buried, and then rose again, just a few days later, he came back in the form of, you guessed it, the Holy Spirit. Not a third God, but the same God, just a different manifestation of the same God, the Holy Spirit, and it began to call, uh, well, Jesus did it some in the Gospels, but in the New Testament, you begin to hear the words Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, as well as Holy Spirit. So when Jesus came back in the form of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, that was the beginning of this spiritual kingdom of God that will never end. It continues to this day, and it will continue on forever and ever. So then we, we get over to the book of Hebrews. I'm kind of skipping around a little bit to talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The writer of Hebrews uh, begins to really explain and talk about how Jesus Christ and what he brought, the plan of salvation he brought and his death, burial, and resurrection and how he was uh, now our high priest, it begins to point out and explain through the book of Hebrews how much better that is than the Old Testament law. In fact, again, somebody else counted these up, but let me read them for you. Hebrews tells us that 15... Uh, there are 15 ways that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. It says in 35 different ways he is superior to the angels. The book of Hebrews alone now, that's what I'm talking about. In seven, seven different areas, it talks about how Jesus was better than Moses. And in five ways, it mentions how Jesus is above Joshua. So the writer of Hebrews here is teaching that Jesus Christ and his covenant with man, his plan of salvation, the relationship we have with him, 
with Jesus through the Holy Ghost is so much better than the relationship people could have with God back in the Old Testament. It says, uh, in ten ways, Jesus, as our high priest, was superior to the high priest of the Old Testament. It mentions it ten times. And it mentions in eight ways, Jesus was better than Melchizedek, who was an apparition of God in the Old Testament that appeared to Abraham. It says in seven ways he exceeds Abraham, and his priesthood is better than Aaron's. Hebrews alone talks about it 22 times. Uh, And then you talk about his blood, the blood of Jesus, and how much better that is than the blood of those animals they sacrificed in the Old Testament. It says 20 areas, in 20 different areas, 20 times, Uh, that the sacrifice of Jesus was far better than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He talks about a better country. And uh, put up Hebrews 13 and 8. I like this. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad we have the new covenant with Jesus today? Amen. Well, a part of that covenant is the Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit, and you need it in your life. Next Sunday, uh, in part two of today's topic, I'm going to talk about receiving the Holy Ghost. But today I'm just kind of laying the foundation. So when he declared these things, God uh, is talking about the New Testament era and how he approaches uh, or how we approach him. Uh, it's not my reputation that it's sta- that's at stake. When he starts talking about that, it's God's. So knowing that, it, 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 it's sad really to me that a lot of denominations, church groups, church churches who used to have the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost on their services in their midst now don't have that. Instead, many of those groups who once had the fire of the Holy Ghost that you, most of you have felt, know what I'm talking about, the fire of the Holy Ghost. There were a lot of groups and several large, two or three large denominations that exist today who used to have that same fire and that same power who today are now worldly and powerless. And they've lost their their cutting edge, their spiritual cutting edge, so to speak, because for several reasons. One reason is some of them chose to take the stand that the Holy Ghost was not necessary for salvation. Uh, Every group, every church, every denomination that decided they were going to make that one of their doctrines and one of their beliefs, every one of them has gone down as far as having the power of the Holy Ghost active in their midst and in their services. Uh, Many of those groups, uh, one reason that that happened to them, they lost the power and unction of the Holy Ghost, was because they denied Jesus' name in baptism. And some of them uh, lost the unction and that fire of the Holy Ghost because they denied the oneness of God. And they adopted the doctrine of the Trinity that didn't come along until 300 years after the church started on the day of Pentecost. 
None of the apostles believed in the Trinity. That was something that man came up with hundreds of years later. And so the miracles and the signs and wonders of Acts chapter 2 and 8 and 10 and 19, that continues to operate in the world today in the midst of people who adhere to the Scripture and say, I want all the fire and all the power of the Holy Ghost I can get, just like they did on the day of Pentecost, just like they did in the book of Acts. Now, uh, I just heard just this weekend, yesterday, uh, that the UPCI website has this on their, their website and some other places uh, around Pentecost, an account of a man who was blind for 10 years, was baptized in Jesus' name recently in Ohio, and he came out of the water healed of his blindness. He could see. came out and said, I could see. God will bless you for obeying his word. God will bless you for obeying what the Scripture tells us to do. Put up Joel 2 and 28. We go back to the Old Testament prophecy. This is one of the main Old Testament prophecies of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Uh, this word pour out really could be better translated empty out. So it, it was as if this prophet, prophet Joel said, there's going to be a, a cloudburst of heavenly rain. And, and it was though God had been building up a, a, a heavenly reservoir somewhere of spiritual water and blessing. And for ages and ages throughout the long centuries of the Old Testament, uh, he made promise after promise and prophecy after prophecy through uh, the prophets about the coming day of the pouring out of God upon man. And, and, he, and these prophecies and these promises keep building up and enlarging this heavenly uh, reservoir of God's spirit and power stored up for some day in the future that was going to come. And people of God in the Old Testament longed for it and they waited for it and they prayed for it. And finally, the promises of God and, and all those prophecies of the Old Testament and the foretelling of Pentecost, they, they piled up in that heavenly reservoir, so to speak, until it, it couldn't contain it anymore. And suddenly there was a rupture and the reservoir was broken on the day of Pentecost and the contents rushed out in one mighty stream and began to cover the earth with the Spirit of God. But it was in the form that anybody could have it within them if they wanted it. Praise God. It was Hosea, put up 6 and 3 of Hosea, that talked of a day when there, was, there, there would be a former rain and then a latter rain. And uh, it says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Now, in Israel, they had uh, a growing season just like we do here in America. Uh, the growing season begins sometime in the spring, depending on where in the country you are, how far north or south. 
and it ends with harvest time. You bring the crops in from the field sometime in late summer or fall. Well, in Israel, the growing season, uh, much like we have in our spring, started off with the former rain. That means the beginning rain, the first rain, a rainy season to help the crops get uh, planted and in the ground and have enough water to to cause them to grow as they ought to. And then Israel has, toward the end of the their growing season, a latter rain. And God said, that's what I'm going to do to the earth and to uh, the people with my spirit in the church dispensation. It started out with a bang on the day of Pentecost. That was the former rain, the beginning rain of God's spirit upon the earth. And then about 120 uh Two or three years ago, we had, after thousands of years, well, at least over a thousand years of dark ages, and the church, not God's real church, but the church, the Christian church, Christianity, receding away from truth uh, through false doctrines and the development of the Trinity, and then they did away with baptism and said it wasn't necessary. Some of them changed baptism from the way they did it in the Bible, which was by being completely buried or dunked, to baptizing by sprinkling. You ever gone to a graveside service or a burial and see, see them just sprinkle a little bit of dirt over the dead body, over the casket? I hadn't. Don't think it ever happened. You don't bury somebody by just sprinkling a little bit of dirt on them. You put them six feet under, don't you? Well, that's the way God wants us to be buried with him in baptism. But, but, but different church groups and denominations changed many of those things. And so you had a, a great falling away. And then about the turn of the 20th century, around 1900, a little over 100 years ago, you have the beginning of the latter reign when there was an outpouring of God's Spirit that happened two or three places in the country Topeka, Kansas, mainly in a little mission church building somewhere in Los Angeles called on, on the street called Azusa. And the Azusa Street Revival developed into a, an everyday, all-day, all-night revival that lasted over three years. And thousands of people received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues uh, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. That was Hosea's latter reign. Then you have the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, we won't read the scriptures. I'm running out of time. But he talked about uh, the people there asked God for a perpetual covenant. Then you have the prophet Micah uh, in the Old Testament. He looked for, quote, the son of righteousness to appear with healing in his wings. And these Old Testament prophets, Old Testament men, and women, they looked ahead with anxious anticipation to a better day that was coming, a day when God wouldn't just show up from time to time, but he would come to earth and dwell within his people all the time. So if you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit within you, you have God with you, not just with you, around you, but in you all the time. Isn't that great? I don't know why anybody wouldn't want the gift of the Holy Ghost, to have God in them all the time. Think about how great that would be. And then there's uh, this concept of types and shadows and, and prefigurings and symbols. The Old Testament is filled with types and shadows, which is just a, uh, 
a, a, a picture of something, a foretelling of something that's to come in the future. If I go stand by this wall, then uh, my body is going to cast a shadow on this wall. I don't know if you can see my shadow on the wall or not, but let's look at it. A shadow uh, looks somewhat like the real thing, doesn't it? This shadow is shaped uh, generally like my body. But the shadow is not the real thing, is it? It's basically uh, pretty close to the same dimensions. It's, if I get, the closer I get to it, the more it looks like my body. And if, if I get right up next to it, you can't see it, but the shadow is the same height as my real body. That's the way Bible shadows and types work. In the Old Testament, God gave us uh, things that weren't the real thing, but they were, Paul called, uh, called them school teachers to lead us to things that were to come in the New Testament. I'll give you one example. The sacrificing of animals in the Old Testament tabernacle plan of worship and shedding their blood, that was a type or a shadow of the coming of a future sacrifice that was to be a perfect sacrifice. And once that sacrifice was made, there would be no more need for sacrifices of animals every day. And that perfect sacrifice that once and for all was made to take away the sins of man was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And there's a whole lot of more things like that. But uh, the greatest work of the Holy Ghost today on the earth is done in the body of Jesus Christ, in his church. And uh, it began on the day of Pentecost about 2,000 years ago. But think about it. Uh, the door, uh, let's, let's look at Acts 2, God pouring out the Holy Ghost actually as a door. But that door that opened to the New Testament dispensation, that door actually opened on the hinges of Joel 2.28 when he prophesied that he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And uh, then very quickly we have, I'm just going over some of the Old Testament introductions of the Holy Ghost that was going to come in the New Testament. Ezekiel had a vision of water. And we won't read it, Terry, so don't put it up. But uh, Ezekiel went to the temple. And I don't know if he was in a trance or asleep or wide awake, but he was given a vision of the temple at that time, water. He, he came up to the door of the temple, and water was flowing out of it. And at first, it was just a trickle, and then it began to increase and get uh, stronger and stronger, this stream, and, and uh, he began to walk out into it, and first it was ankle deep, and then he noticed, he looked down, and it was knee deep, and then it became waist deep, and finally, he said it was water to swim in. And uh, that is a symbol or a type in the Old Testament of the Holy Ghost coming in the New Testament. And there's several more. That's just one I chose to talk about. And uh, so the door swung open on the day of Pentecost, and uh, the waters began to flow. And today the waters of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, cover the earth, the entire earth. And... There are multitudes of people that have come in, but God still has multitudes 
that he's looking at around the world, even in Mount Vernon, Illinois, who have yet to see it and recognize and understand, hey, I need the Holy Ghost in my life. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the main reasons is God wants to bless you through the Holy Ghost because when you have the Holy Ghost in your life, great things can happen. Now, do bad things still happen? Sure. Negative stuff is going to happen to everybody. Jesus said that. He said it rains on the just, good people, and the unjust, on bad people. In other words, good people are still going to have the storms of life and the rain come into their life, stuff that they don't want to have happen. But when you have the Holy Ghost, in other words, when you have God living on the inside of you, those storms are a whole lot easier to navigate through. Amen. Let's stand together. Finally, I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Put it up, Brother Terry. One more time. We read it earlier. It says, you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, today in our world, people out in the world are power hungry. You see it in politics all the time. In fact, our, uh, the political landscape in this country is devastated by people who want more power and they're willing to do anything to get it. Continues to amaze me. But that kind of power, the power that the world has, is nothing to compare with the power of God that comes into our life when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Ghost. And next week, well, it'll be two weeks from today because next Sunday is our uh, last Sunday of the month. It's 2 o'clock only. But uh, the Lord willing, two weeks from now, whenever he makes room, we're going to talk about how to actually receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost into your life. Why don't we just close this Sunday school class out by prayer, thanking the Lord for the Spirit of God and uh, all its many benefits. God, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for giving the Holy Ghost to whosoever will. Hallelujah. God, I'm glad that as a 12-year-old boy at church camp, I went to that altar and I began to cry and weep and repent of my sins. And after I'd done that for a little while, then you came upon me and came inside of me. And I began to speak with other tongues in a language I didn't know. As you filled me with the glorious gift of your spirit, the Holy Ghost. And I, I've never regretted it one day since then. God, I love you and thank you that you came up with this beautiful plan whereby you could not just be with us as you were with your people in the Old Testament, but now because of your sacrifice at Calvary and the blood that you shed, because that takes away our sins, it's inside us when we sin. Now we can have you inside of us, oh God. Feel the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And in the Holy Ghost, we have peace that passes all understanding. And in the Holy Ghost, we have your love that's greater than any love in the world. And the blessings just go on and on and on. Thank you for that today, God. Let everyone, under the sound of my voice, whether they're here today or watching online by the Internet, who has not yet received this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Spirit. Let them realize today, hey, that's something I want, something I need. I'm going to do what it takes to get it from the Lord. In Jesus' name, God, have your way in everything. We praise you for it and thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, amen. All right, God bless you. We're going to dim the lights. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.